So now, um, we are on chapter 52, Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, today, general questions on spiritual gifts, January 25th, have some gifts ceased. February 1st, specific gifts. So, next week, this is just general introductory material today. Then, this, there's a controversial question over whether... Prophecy, speaking in tongues, healing, casting out demons was limited to the first century or whether it continues today. That's, that's the next week's lesson, have some gifts ceased. And then, uh, and then I want to look at some specific gifts, and there's so many of them in the Bible. We'll take two weeks to look at just some, particularly healing and prophecy, um, I want to look at in some more detail. And um, part of the reason is that I have done a lot of work in this area and I've written a fair bit in this area. Um, and uh, my doctoral dissertation at Cambridge, uh, where I studied from 73 to 76, was on the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians. That doesn't mean that my view is right. It just means that nobody can talk me out of my view. <laughs> Margaret is saying, that's right. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, interestingly, I read this morning the ESV study Bible notes on 1 Corinthians 12. And, and my view is the preferred one in there, but we wanted to be fair to different views. And so alternative views uh, on these things are also represented fairly as views that some people hold. So that's what we'll do. And then if we're on schedule, by February 15th, we'll be on chapter 54, which talks about the return of Christ. And then we'll get into several weeks that will talk about the second coming and the millennium and the tribulation and all of that end times thing. All right. So let's talk about general questions. Now, why do we talk about general questions? You might think this is going to be boring. And it might be boring. I don't know. But... What I found is uh, when I uh, have worked on and studied and taught on the area of spiritual gifts, these general questions, these overview questions, these general broad picture, big picture questions help a lot when we get down to specifics. And so if you'll bear with me for the rest of the hour this morning, let's just look at these general questions. Does anybody, anybody need an outline? Hold up your hand if you need an outline. Way in the back, way in the back row there. Okay. Just keep your hand in the air. And, uh, and Clyde, thank you, Clyde, so much. Clyde will bring those around. Okay. Um, so first we start with a definition, as we do with every topic. A definition of spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Okay? I saw one in action this morning. Where is Jim Hawkins? Can you stand up, Jim? Yeah, I know it's tough. <laughs> I came in and it was a little early and Jim was saying, how many chairs do you think we need? And he's in charge of getting the chairs. So everybody comes in, you have a chair to sit in. And Jim just, that's, a, Jim's a hospital administrator. In, oh, I retired hospital administrator. And, okay. And so uh, this room is small potatoes compared to his abilities, but he, uh, he has it all working uh, right when we walk in. And that is, uh, that's a, I think 
that uh, the Holy Spirit empowers him and encourages him in that, and it's used in the ministry of the church. Okay, thanks, Jim. Ev, <laughs> are you still in charge of refreshments? No, it's been handed off to Kathy Butel. Kathy Butel, where's Kathy? She's usually here. here. They're not here. Well, imagine Kathy is here. Uh, but we saw invisibly the spiritual gift of hospitality or whatever because the refreshments showed up this morning again. And uh, so that's another kind of administrative gift or helping gift, and it's used for the ministry of the church. Um, of course, obviously, the preaching on Sunday morning, the um, uh, music ministry, the choir and orchestra is uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, used in any ministry of the church. And so this definition would include gifts clearly related to natural ability, uh, teaching or mercy or administration. But I think it would also include gifts that are less related to natural abilities, such as prophecy or healing or distinguishing between spirits that operate more in the supernatural or unseen realm. And uh, my definition says the word any, any ability that is empowered by the church. Why? Well, I don't just want to include miraculous gifts because uh, Paul includes both. Uh, he includes in a list, um, Romans 12, 6 to 8, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy, which we would think of as more unusual, not related to natural ability, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, I guess that serving category would be the refreshments or the chairs and things in the morning. Um, <clears throat> there's another one in the back. I didn't mention Jason, who's here in the morning and getting Jason and JT, helping the audio set up and getting things going right and the lights. And Daryl back there counting everybody. I mean, all these things are happening. You don't even, <clears throat> we kind of just take it for granted. Uh, service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. I guess that's me right now. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. That's a lot. The, the private just encouraging of people. Uh, well, I suppose Bev encouraging us to do. remember that our purpose on life is to glorify God, even in the difficult times of life, in the very difficult times of life. That's exhortation, isn't it? Um, and one who contributes in generosity. That's the offering that's passed. And uh, you're doing that, and I know many, many of you contribute not only uh, just do a regular weekly offering, but in many other ways to needs that you see that come to your mind in, the, in your extended family, your neighborhood, in other parts of the church, other parts of the world. There's contribution. That one is not so visible, but it's exceptionally important. The one who leads with zeal, that would be people in the elder board or people who chair committees or Ev, now heading up on a small group. Leader, that's a leadership in, in some area of the ministry. Um, heading up some, in generosity, uh, let's see, let's see. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So lots of different gifts put together. And then here, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Apostles, then prophets, then teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping. See how they're all mixed together? The ones that we would count more miraculous or, non, or unusual or supernatural, like prophets and healing and tongues, mixed right in there with teachers and helping and administering. And Paul doesn't seem to have any kind of distinction between supernatural and natural. He just kind of, he just kind of throws them all together on a list. And so uh, that, that makes me say a spiritual gift is any ability 
that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Now, I've got to be back to Jim setting up the chairs. Jim, how is that empowered by the Holy Spirit? I don't think just there's any special physical strength to do it, but I think that the Holy Spirit prompted Jim to say, you should volunteer to take that responsibility. It was kind of, I don't know, you know how it unpacked over a series of days or weeks. You're thinking, you know, I could do that. I could do that. Somebody needs to do that. It was a number of years ago when Bob was heading up the class. And what did you do? Talk to Bob? Bob, Bob helped, you, helped you volunteer. All right. So, so uh, Bob Kane was used by the Holy Spirit to speak to, speak to Jim and say, good. Yeah, good. But what a remarkable thing about Bob Kane having that ability to get people working and organized. And, and he did that for so many of us. Yeah, good. Okay. So, uh, any ability, it's used in the ministry of the church. Now, that doesn't mean that every natural ability that people have is a spiritual gift, because it has to be empowered or led or guided by the Holy Spirit, and it must be used for the common good for everybody. So, um, uh, well, what I would say is if, if the Holy Spirit is not prompting or inviting or guiding or directing you to do something, don't do it, because you begin to do it in your own strength and, and apart from God's blessing, and then it wouldn't be really functioning as a gift. And it's so, I suppose it's so easy for us to fall into, uh, well, if somebody says, Wayne, will you come and teach this, uh, teach this uh, Bible study for us on Tuesday evening? And I think, oh, sure, I've done that a lot of times. I can do this. I don't need the Lord's help. And I just walk in and fall flat on my face if I'm not trusting in the Lord and, and depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. So there is that spiritual component to it. So they're called manifestations of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Each, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And all these gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And Paul says, let all things be done for building up or for edification. So they have to be used for the, the benefit of others. Okay, now, um, now that's just... A general definition, any, any, any ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit and used for the ministry of the church. I, I'm going to get back to this in a few minutes and say, uh, I use that definition to say that there are gifts that aren't listed in the New Testament. I'll just give you a foretaste of that now. Because musical gifts aren't listed any place. But I think definitely they're a gift. Prayer isn't listed any place, but that's a wonderful gift. And we have a wonderful prayer ministry here that um, Elaine heads up, Elaine Trexler, in the, in the, um, in the, with needs for the church. And uh, those are definitely spiritual gifts, but there are some things that aren't listed. Paul is just listing some, but anything that's used in the ministry of the church and you sense the Holy Spirit leading or guiding you to do it, that, that you should count a spiritual gift. Okay, let's go. In the history of redemption, just take an overview of the whole Bible quickly. In the Old Testament, in general, there was a less powerful activity of the Holy Spirit in the lives of most believers. Now, there were certainly miracles, and there was some working of the Holy Spirit from the beginning. In Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God was hovering on the face of the waters. But among God's people, there was a less powerful work. It doesn't, doesn't seem that there was any casting out of demons in the whole Old Testament. But when Jesus came, he's casting out demons all the time. 
prophecy was limited to a few people, Moses and then a few others, um, and, you know, Elijah, Elisha. There were some prophets, but there were just key ones, and then maybe some bands of prophets with Elijah and Elisha, but in some of the writing prophets, but not too many. No mention of speaking in tongues. But more than that, there doesn't seem to be much emphasis on everybody having gifts to minister to everybody else. It was kind of concentrated among uh, just a few unusually anointed leaders. And and uh, people would go to maybe a prophet or something for, for healing, but it wasn't just uh, expectation that believers would minister to one another and some would have gifts of healing. It was just That just was a less powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And evangelism... God had called the Jewish people, but <clears throat> very little evangelism to the whole nation, or to the whole world, to the nations. So there was a work of the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't the powerful work that was coming. The Old Testament, however, looked forward to a time when there'd be a greater empowering of the Holy Spirit. It would reach to all God's people. So in the Old Testament, people are thinking, you know, there's something more coming. There's a greater work of God's Spirit among his people. And in fact, Joel promised that. It'll come to pass Afterward, Joel 2, 28-29, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Look at this. Not just Elijah, Eli, not just Elisha and Elijah, not just Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, but your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. This is the way the Bible speaks when it wants to mention everybody. It says, Old and young, and by implication, everybody in between. It says male and female uh, servant, sons and daughters. And, and, and that means that's the way of uh, giving uh, two groups that represent the whole. And so uh, this is kind of a fulfillment or, or a further expectation of what Moses had said a long time ago when, <clears throat> when um, God called 70 elders uh, to help Moses and uh, and the uh, the Holy Spirit descended on them, and then somebody came and said, "Moses, there are two men in the camp, and they aren't. They're back in the camp, and they're they're prophesying, and they're not with you. They're not part of the group. What what is going on?" And Moses said, "Don't don't worry about it. Eldad and Bedad are back there prophesying." Oh, he said, "I wish that everybody would prophesy. In other words, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit on them." <clears throat> so Moses is longing for a future day when the Holy Spirit would be given to all of God's people and there would be a gifting of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, John the Baptist heightens the expectation of this coming age of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3.11, um, I baptize you with water for repentance. He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, go back to baptism a few weeks ago, where the word baptize in Greek meant to plunge or to immerse in water normally. Here it's used in an image. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That's you'll be overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, um, flooded with the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And, and fire, I think fire is a purifying, sanctifying word. And then Jesus, when he comes in his person, first of all, he is the first to manifest this new age of the Spirit because Jesus comes in the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit in his person, teaching with great power. So people are amazed. Where did he get this teaching? Teaching with great power, healing all who are brought to him, casting out demons, 
from those who are oppressed. And so Luke's, all the, all the Gospels mention this, but <clears throat> Luke makes this most explicit. So um, uh, in Luke 3, we have the baptism of Jesus. And uh, uh, Luke 3.21, Jesus had been baptized. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in verse 22. And then... Uh, he, and then, um, chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. After he defeated the devil <clears throat> and finished those days of temptation, then, verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country. Now, was Jesus fully God? Yes. Could Jesus have, in his, just in his power as a child, could he have raised people from the dead and healed people and cast out demons and stilled the storms? Yes, he could have by his divine power, but he didn't. He didn't do, apparently, didn't do any miracles until after Luke 4.14 when his ministry in the power of the Spirit began. Because we kind of put this together with John's Gospels, and uh, we find that uh, uh, in John 2, uh, where Jesus turned the water to wine at Cana and Galilee, is the first of his miracles, or the first of his signs. So, um, I think what is happening is Jesus is not calling on his divine nature or his divine power to do these miracles, or at least many of them. That's a little difficult question but is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit working through him works these miracles. And that's the emphasis of, um, of Luke. I, I, that's in general. I think sometimes he does manifest his power, stilling the storm and things. But in general, it's the Holy Spirit working through him. So he returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and then what happens? It's just like an explosion of powerful ministry. He goes to the synagogue in Galilee and he teaches and they're amazed. <clears throat> and then he begins to heal many. Um, uh, a synagogue in, in, in Capernaum. And then um, we get to these summary verses. Verse 40 of Luke 4. When the sun was setting, all... All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. That's, that, that just didn't happen ever before in the whole history of the Bible. Everybody who's sick comes to Jesus, and he heals them all. Never has that happened. There were mirac occasional miracles, but this, this is just unprecedented. And demons came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. He rebuked them, would not allow them to speak. And so that's the beginning, and Jesus' ministry goes on then after that in a similar character. But the surprising thing is that after a time, Jesus gives this power to the 12 disciples and then the 70 disciples. So he's telling them in Matthew 10, 7 to 8, as he sends them out, <clears throat> Matthew 10, sending the 12 out, the kingdom of heaven, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something new. Didn't happen in the days of Moses 
in the days of Samuel, in the days of David or Solomon. Didn't happen. But now the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's manifest in this new power. So Jesus says to the twelve, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pay and give without pay, etc. And Luke 10, he sends out the 70 similarly. So it's not just in Jesus' life, but then kind of spreading from Jesus' life, these others. Well, did this happen to anybody else? Yes, at Pentecost, then this outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes to all the believers at that time. And so, Jesus promised this, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. <clears throat> and then there were 120 waiting there in Acts 1 and uh, Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, there came, they were all together. There came a, a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were setting, sitting. And, and divided tongues of fire, as of fire appeared to them, rested on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, then they began to proclaim the gospel. And Peter gives this long sermon. And what happens? There are 120 people at the beginning of the day, but at the end... There were added that day, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Well, that's pretty effective evangelism, I would say. 3,000 converted. Yeah. And then, it, and then it goes on, and there are more, more. And the Lord added daily, those to their number day by day, those who were being saved, Acts 2.47. And, of course, they're filled with praise. They're sharing... Uh, uh, bred together with glad and generous hearts, and they're praising God and having favor with all the people. And then, of course, Acts transfers to a specific instance where Peter sees this man uh, lame from birth, and Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by his right hand and raised him up, and he was leaping and praising God. <sighs> Outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And um, when Peter explains what has happened, he says, this is what was promised. So he talks about Jesus, and then he says, this Jesus God raised up, Acts 2, 32 to 33. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. So he's saying, Jesus was raised from the dead, and he spent time among us 40 days, and then he ascended to heaven, and he received great honor in heaven. He was exalted at the right hand of God, God the Father, and what happened? When he was exalted at the right hand of the Father, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. So the Father said to the Son, Now, send forth the Holy Spirit in the way that I have promised for centuries. So there's something happening in heaven where, where Jesus was at the right hand of God. He received great honor and glory. He was exalted and the Father said to the Son, now is the time. Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, that means the, the promise that the Holy Spirit would come, the promised Holy Spirit. He, Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And the imagery of pouring out is the image of Jesus just pouring out from this huge container the power of the Holy Spirit to come in fullness, overwhelming, flooding, immersing, transforming all of God's people.
And of course, that's what happened at Pentecost and the 3,000 were saved and miracles began to happen again and again. That's the big picture. Now, I think I'm going to stop here for a couple minutes. Let's see. Comment or question or... Yeah, E.G. over here. And Well, okay, I've got one. What's your name here? Lauren. 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 What does it mean... When he says you received without pay, give without pay, in that verse about two slides back. Yeah, it's in the context of when you go out, you, you, your needs will be provided for. Somehow the Lord will provide for your needs. So I think it, um, you know, um, a little later in Acts, they go to um, Samaria and there's this magician, and he says, uh, "Let me give you money so that you could, so that I could have the power of the Holy Spirit." And Peter said, "Your your heart is not right in this matter." So there's a free giving of the power of the Holy Spirit without you, you can't charge for spiritual gifting, that kind of thing. I don't think it. Well, the question is, if that were the only verse about ministry. We might say, never pay pastors, but we're not sure about it. But then you take other verses where Paul says, uh, the Lord commanded that those who preach the gospel should get their living by the gospel, and those who uh, rule well should be, com- should be considered worthy of double, double honor, First Timothy 5, especially those who labor in preacher and te- preaching and teaching. So there are specific verses that say if people make their living by this, then you should pay them. Uh, but in general, for believers, we minister to one another freely. So, so if you say, come up to me afterward and say, <laughs> hey, Wayne, could you pray for me for my job situation? I say, give me $5 first. No. <laughs> no. That, then the, the Lord all of a sudden not going to bless that or a lot of other things that are coming down the road. So, yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, and then I said, E.G., uh, this has relates to your definition, a spiritual gift, any ability empowered by the Holy Spirit, and used in the ministry of the church. Yeah. Now, do you, does a person have that same gift that he can use in his work or regular life? Yeah. Um. I'm going to go back to Jim and pick on Jim as an example here. Hospital administrator, is that a spiritual... I don't think I'd call it a spiritual gift because it's used for the hospital, not for the church. Is it from the Lord? Yeah, ultimately, because the Lord gave him those abilities. Should he pray for the Lord's guidance in using it? Yes. Does he honor God in it? But Yes, but, but a spiritual gift in this context, in 1 Corinthians, is what you do in the context of the church, particularly. But, but could that same gift or talent be used in your secular work? It's often true that people have related. To, it's often true that there's a relationship. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Let me give it. Well, sure. Yeah, administrative ability in a hospital works into a gift that's used in the church. Sure. Okay. Or, or a good elementary school teacher might be a good Sunday school teacher. Okay, not 100% correlation, but often, because God made us as whole people, and he's kind of made us the way we are so that we can move in and out of church ministry to other kinds of, ministry, other kinds of work. So, okay, um, oh, way in the back. Oh, Ross, 
Good morning, Wayne. Good morning. Just a point of clarification more than anything. Was the power of the Holy Spirit actually, was the Holy Spirit less powerful in the Old Testament times or just less prevalent? I think he worked less powerfully. He was always God and always omnipotent. But in the wisdom of God's plan for history, he was working less powerfully, except occasionally when you get these remarkable miracles. Yeah, okay. And Pammy, up here. You have one? Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. I, I wonder about your analogy with, um, um, with our spiritual gifts uh, because it... I believe our ministry as lay people, we're all priests. And so anywhere we go, I think we're part of the church. And where we are ministering, working, serving, shopping, whatever, I think, I, I, I think it's our platform. And therefore, our spiritual gifts should be used in, uh, in spreading the gospel in it, just by our, our presence and, and, and how we are. Yeah, because yeah. when we're at work, we, we need to, to follow the rules and, and, and yeah, yeah. Caesar. Yeah, and so, of course, you're, you, you, your life witnesses and your words witness as a Christian, no matter what you're doing. Yeah. But when Paul's talking about spiritual gifts, he's, just, he's talking about things functioning for the benefit of the body of Christ. I suppose you could say evangelism does that too. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty flexible. I'm, yeah. Although I, I don't know about a gift of shopping. <laughs> no, uh, no. But but the Proverbs 31 woman was very wise in how yeah, she yeah, shopped. Okay, okay. So. I, just, I just couldn't resist. I okay. Okay. One more. Okay. Oh, I have a question, Wayne. Over the years, I've heard um, two schools of thought about the Holy Spirit in relation to believers. That. Number one, when you convert, you get a little bit of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And over the course of your life, you you pray for more infilling of the yep. Holy Spirit. And as yep. you grow spiritually, you get more. Yep. Yep. Versus number two, you get a full measure yep. of the Holy Spirit when you convert. So I'd like to know what you think. Um, that we're talking about a relationship with a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And that... He can, throughout our lives, work more strongly or less strongly at different times. And I've been I've been in churches where I preach. Well, even here, I preach three sermons, and and in one or two of them, I've just had a sense that the Holy Spirit is working more strongly, more powerfully than in the third one. So I think that 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 depends a lot. And I know for sure when I if I neglect my prayer time and my personal time with the Lord, then my teaching doesn't go well at the seminary. My teaching here doesn't go well or my preaching. And so there is it's a it's are we walk not grieving the Holy Spirit, but walking in close fellowship with him. Then he is pleased to give us a greater measure of his power. Um, Sure, I think it's appropriate to pray for a more full measure of the Holy Spirit all the time. Um, there's a different question. Do you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit as a special event? And I can hardly remember teaching on that because it was way back chapter 39, but I did teach on that, and your husband has it on the website. And so <laughs> and the outline is back there. I, I don't think it's a, um, a, a special event that everybody has to go through. Okay. Now, I said one, but I, it often happens if I give... The microphone to John, then Ev has a question, or if I give it to our comment or to Ev and John, John's got it in his hand. What can I say? My my question is, 
knowing God had a plan from the first day of Genesis yep. till he returns. Yep. And we didn't get the Holy Spirit until Jesus. In full, in so, full power. In full power. Right. But right. then what do you see? The mechanism, God picked the Israelis as his chosen people. Yep. They were faithful people back then. Yep. What was the mechanism, in, just in a brief yep. sense, that the people back then could come to God yep. and have a, I don't know that they must have been able to have yep. a relationship yep. but with I him. Think, but that, I think and, it was. Yeah. I think there was a relationship with him. They were supposed to imitate David who meditated on God's law day and night. I think it was that the Holy Spirit worked in their hearts, but it wasn't as strongly. It was just a, a, a less powerful work. Okay. Didn't have the resurrection power of Christ. Didn't have gifts given to all believers. Didn't have effective power for evangelism to all nations. Weren't casting out demons. But there was something to encourage their faith and, and have them in some walk with God. Yeah. That's a disputed question, and there's not a lot of information on it in the Bible. Okay. Well, I'm going to go on and see if I can do a little bit more here. The purpose of spiritual gifts in the New Testament age. Why does God do this? Why does he give us these gifts at all? Well, I think they're given to equip the church to carry out its ministry until Christ returns. And so they're very much for this period between Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, and the return of Christ, when the whole situation changes. In this interim period, spiritual gifts are given so that we can do the ministry of the church. 1 Corinthians 1.7, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's that perspective. Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, you're waiting for Christ, but while you're waiting, you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. It's, 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 it's part of this age of waiting for Christ. 1 Corinthians 13.10, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And in the previous verses, the partial are spiritual gifts. So when the perfect comes, I think that's the time when Christ returns, then we won't need these individual gifts. Um, uh, so they're temporary. And then 1 Corinthians 14.12, so with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit... Strive to excel in building up the church. So, so the, the gifts are to equip the church to carry out its ministry. Strive to excel in building up the church. No matter what you do, that should be the goal. Not to make yourself famous. Not to get people to say how wonderful you are. But not to make yourself happy. But to strive to excel in building up the church. And that's a good reminder for all of us. Okay, you're thinking, you know, I wonder what I should be doing here at Scottsdale Bible Church. Well, is there any ability or interest or time or anything that God has given to me where I could help just in some way to build up the church? Whether it's participating in that workday where people did painting and carpentry repairs and planting and everything, <clears throat> that's building up the church. Or I'm looking. I'm just seeing all the people who volunteer in this class. I'm looking at Clyde, who does just quietly comes in, gets the photocopies, and passes them out to everybody. That's helping everybody. And so all these things, or Elaine with the prayer ministry, or, or many other things. And many of you, uh, many of you do things in in formal, structured ways in the church. And many of you do things in informal ways, where you are caring for people and ministering to people and being ministered to by others just throughout the week. And I, um, I'm going to just mention my wife, Margaret, who is not on a committee. I, you might be on one or two committees, but you're not. I know she just doesn't like committees. But, but 
what's happening. I come out in the kitchen for to get a cup of tea or something in the middle of the day, and there she is talking to this person or talking to that person or talking to that person. She prays for people. She just cares for a, a lot of different people, and they care for her or others care for her. She has friends who care for her. So I don't want to say that the only way you can exercise a spiritual gift is setting up chairs. That's one way. But the, a lot of interpersonal caring time is um, very informal, and nobody, hardly anybody knows about it. Does that make sense? And so I want you to take thought about that, but in those times, it's not, how can I entertain myself? It's, how can I build up the church? How can I help someone else? How can I minister to someone else? That's what Paul says, strive to excel. Do the best you can at it. <clears throat> Do the, Excel at it. Do the most you can at whatever God has called you to, to build up the church. I think that's everybody has to be doing something to help others in the ministry of the church. Okay? Spiritual gifts give a foretaste of the age to come. Oh, here's something else. This is, this is a good way to think of them. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 to 10. <clears throat> we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now I see it a mere dimly. Now we see it a mere dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, and I shall know fully as I've been known full, as I've been fully known. So now we know some things about God, but then our knowledge will be made completely truthful and without error. I will know fully, says Paul. Um, <clears throat> there's knowledge and prophecy that gives us some information, <clears throat> but that will pass away because we'll see face to face. Or Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, Paul calls the Holy Spirit the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. This Greek word, arabon, is a commercial word for down payment. And so, uh, if I give... Who am I going to buy something from here? <laughs> I'm going to give Carol a down payment for a trip because <clears throat> um, she... Not really working a lot as a travel agent, but has done a lot of work as a travel agent and still does a little work as a travel agent. Hey, Carol, I'd like to go on a trip. Here's some money. That's the down payment. That's a promise that I'll come back with more of the same kind of money. <clears throat> Dollars. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment of what God will give us fully when Christ returns. So these spiritual gifts are kind of down payments. They give foretastes of the life to come. So... Healing gives a foretaste of what? The resurrection of the body, says Neville. Yes. The perfect, healthy, never to grow weak or be sick body that we'll have in the future. Healing is a foretaste of that. Okay? Um, I guess teaching gives a foretaste of the knowledge we'll have in heaven. Doesn't it? Okay. Um, worship is a foretaste of the more perfect worship in heaven. And so we could talk about a lot of gifts like that. that they, and, uh, and compassion and mercy are foretastes of the perfect mercy and compassion we'll experience. In are, are you with me on this? Okay. How many gifts are there? Well, that's a big list. How many gifts are there? Wow. Well... There's a list in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, apostle, prophet, teacher, miracles, etc. There's one in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles. 
There's one in Ephesians 4.11, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher. There's one in Romans 12, prophecy, serving, teaching, contributing. And now this is a little bit of a controversy one, and you don't have to agree with this one if you don't want to. But in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, I kind of sneaked in these other two gifts, marriage and celibacy, because Paul uses the same Greek word charisma. Each has his own gift, one of one kind or one of another. And I think he's saying if you're married, that allows you to... Uh, that it gives you opportunities to minister in many ways. And if you're single, that gives you freedom to minister in other ways. So they're both gifts. But if, if, if you keep those, you've got 22. If you don't have those, you have 20. But you know what? And then First Peter 4.11, whoever speaks, whoever renders service. I don't think that Paul is attempting to construct exhaustive gifts. Because they're just lists. They're just samples. Here's some, here's some, here's some. And people take these and they say, oh, there are just these gifts. There are these nine gifts. Or there are these uh, eight gifts. Or something like that. And I, I just, if, if that was the case, all the lists would be the same. Wouldn't they? Uh, there's some degree even of overlap among the gifts. Um, in one place, it's prophecy and a prophet or... Or what's the difference between what's the difference between administration in number seven and leadership over here in number nineteen? I think there's a lot of overlap. What about contributing and mercy? There's an overlap. Um, teaching and encouraging, there's an overlap. Prop serving and encouraging. I mean, there's and so I don't. I think they're just lists. And, uh, and some of the gifts will have very different expressions. So some people will... Well, let me, let me give you evangelism. Uh, who's your example that comes to mind with the gift of evangelism? Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Yeah, it's the first one everybody's going to mention. And he's got a gift of speaking in large stadiums. Okay. But now, wait a minute. What about... Uh, somebody on the airplane yesterday I saw I was reading C.S. Lewis' book, Surprised by Joy. I don't know. I bet C.S. Lewis would have been a disaster speaking to 40,000 people in a stadium. But he's written books, Mere Christianity, Surprised by Joy. Through his writings, there's been evangelism, right? And then other people have gifts of evangelism that are just neighborhood friendship evangelism. And over time, lots of people come to the Lord. I remember a friend of mine said, you know, we've lived in this neighborhood for about, he said, uh, this is back in Illinois, we lived in this neighborhood for about 15 years, and you know, we looked around, all, all the people on our block, all the people in our cul-de-sac have become believers. <laughs> yes, isn't that nice? But that's different from Billy Graham. So, different, okay? And some people have uh, serving gifts in, in different ways. So, so, even in any one gift, you can divide them up. My, I think God's given me a gift of teaching, but it's different from Jamie's gift of teaching. And it's different from Daryl's gift of teaching. And it's different from John Pollitton's gift of teaching, which comes in the next hour. And it's different from Fred Shea's gift of teaching, which is over in the next room. Well, there's differences. And then other people are... I, me teaching junior high? Oh, it would be disaster. <laughs> I couldn't do it. It'd be awful. And so, But other people are just natural at that. And so even among any gift, you can have hundreds of different kinds of gifts then, can't you? You can have nursery teaching, you can have junior high teaching, you can have senior high teaching, you can have college student teaching, you can have people good at so, so the gifts have very many different expressions. And there are some gifts that aren't on any list. Prayer. 
How could, I mean, some people are just gifted in prayer. That's got to be a gift for the, empowered by the Holy Spirit, used in the ministry of the church. Praise and worship, that's a gift. How about uh, gifts of drama? Some people do have that and, and present gospel truths in drama. That's not on the list. So I think, and, and how about um, radio evangelism? Paul didn't mention that. Okay, so so I just think the lists are um, are incomplete. Well, this is a general overview. Where did we end up on the outline? I didn't do much, did I today? <laughs> okay. I got sort of to three about the third. So I think we're going to come back and work on this next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are Lord of your church, that you came in such wonderful power in the power of the Holy Spirit, ministering to thousands and thousands of people. We thank you. You give us the privilege of being involved in your church and the Holy Spirit's power to Enable us to minister with eternal results to other people around us. Lord, for each person here, guide them during this week that they would know what you have called them to. They would work and minister in the power of your Holy Spirit. And that for others who are wondering, Lord, what would you have me do? That your guidance would be clear. It would be gentle and kind and joyful and evident in what you are leading them to do for building up and excelling in building up the church. Amen. See you next week.